Hey, what's up, everyone? Brett here, bringing you a special Canada Day bonus episode of the Rad Dads Show. Hey, all you Rad Dads out there. That's right. Welcome to a special Canada Day bonus episode of the Rad Dad Show. And this one was recorded live in person at the Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. We had the amazing opportunity to check out the museum last weekend during what they were calling the Canadian Connection, which was centered around guided tours from Canadian punk rock icons Grant Lawrence from Vancouver's The Smugglers and KJ Jansen of Chicks Dig It, one of Fat Records' longest signed bands. And you might remember that both Grant and KJ have been on the Rad Dad show, so we shifted the focus this time to discussing their history as friends and chatting about the museum and what it means to them to see the Canadian scene represented. And I actually should stop quickly and thank Grant and KJ for showing me such a good time over the weekend and for fitting this interview in around their busy schedules. On that note, speaking of busy schedules, we were literally in the pool together about an hour before this interview, and we actually briefly debated doing a poolside shirtless interview, but thank goodness we didn't. Instead, we ended up rushing to the museum and doing this interview with wet hair, sitting in the wedding chapel. It was a bit nuts, but we had lots of laughs, and it was really neat to hear them relive old memories triggered by the items in the museum. Although it didn't take long for us to circle back to talking about our kids and our families and what KJ called the billionaire's dream, stability and family, in their cases all stemming from celebrated careers in punk rock. If you haven't been to the museum yet, I would really recommend checking it out if you're in Vegas or even making a special trip down like I did. It's that good. And if you can, do a guided tour. Getting to see the museum through someone else's eyes is really a once in a lifetime thing. And there's so many amazing people offering tours at the museum. I really want to thank Melanie Kay and everyone else at the museum for being so awesome and helping us put together some great features on the museum. And in particular, these two rad dads. So what do you say we get this Canada Day started? Here's Grant Lawrence and KJ Jansen, the Canadian Connection live from the Punk Rock Museum on the Rad Dads Show. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, for Brad. Yeah, coming on the Rad Dads Show again yeah. for this special feature. We're live at the Punk Rock Museum yep. in Las Vegas. Yep. In the chapel. In the Our chapel. Pleasure. You just performed a, cer- a wedding ceremony. Marriage. Yeah, an illegal KJ. wedding ceremony. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That fits yeah. with the museum. <laughs> Um, it's your birthday, KJ. It it's is KJ's my birthday, birthday today. Yep. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. Yeah, Feeling great, healthy. <laughs> After walking around the museum for three days now, yeah, I feel really. like I've really gotten my steps in. Yep. And you, I mean, you guys were both on the Rad Dads show, so we've talked about the family stuff. We're going to talk more about the museum this okay, time. Yeah. Um, but you are here with your family, and your family did check it out. So I, I am interested, before we get into that, mm-hmm. on what did they think about the museum? Well, this is, uh, yeah, the, I would say that uh, um, my wife was also in a band. She was in the Riff Randalls. She had the same reaction that I did when I came in the first time, and I got a little uh, teary, you know, because this is a legitimate thing, you know, commemorating illegitimate things that we did back in, you know, the day. And so it's it's a pretty cool thing, like, I and I know that we're not the only people. I think a lot of people are coming in here and, and 
seeing a lot of things from our past. And, and Kathy was, you know, noticing a lot of things from bands that she toured with, friends of ours, you know, that kind of thing. The kids were, I think, kind of proud, which yeah. was kind of neat. I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the staff here are so awesome, and they've really, you know, uh, been great to the family. So, yeah, I would say they have really had a great time, and they're happy to come here for their fourth day in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... Like on that note of family, Grant, you rushed here last minute to be here for the, the tours and yeah. you, you were kind of held up a little bit because of a special event back home with your son. Right? Yeah, I mean, I let KJ know, I guess maybe a couple months ago, maybe, I don't know, that uh, and the museum, because we were originally booked for four days straight and it was going to be like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. and. My son has been putting together, he's nine years old, he's been putting together his own band from, I don't know, it's, I think the idea started like in November, then there's this talent show at his little elementary school that they build up to, and that's what the band signed up for, that was going to be their debut performance, and, uh, and you know, talking about getting choked up, like just thinking about it, um, and, then, and then, but to my horror... The show that has been like occupying these kids and like and then our brain, they've been making merchandise and posters and stickers and pins and practicing constantly, awesome. writing their own songs. Called one is called "We Live in BC" and the other one is called "We Like to Rock." <laughs> and um, and then I realized, oh my god, the talent show is on Friday, June twenty. Third, third or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. and I, I'm like I, I just and so I grappled with it for like pro <laughs> probably a month and then I just wrote to KJ and said like I've got a major I don't think I even told you what it was but mm -hmm. I'm like I've got a major like family event that's occurring and you were great. KJ was great about it. He's like, June's a busy time. Just come down when you can come down. And so I felt, you know, like I always, I always try to honor my commitments. And I always try to, if I say I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be somewhere. But this one, this is where kids start messing with your lives, right? Because it's like all of a sudden the irony is that I have to miss giving tours of the Punk Rock Museum, which is a lot of it is in our past to skip something that is brand new and my kid and the only reason my kid formed a band is because of all of the smugglers stuff all over the place and the, ex the, ex the experience of rubbing shoulders with KJ when he was a little kid or whoever and so I said I gotta I gotta go I gotta stay I gotta I can only come down for the weekend but everyone here was really cool about it because you know when I called down and said hey uh, it's Grant from the Smugglers. They said, "Sorry, who?" <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, so anyway, it's all worked out. I got to see the show. Got down to Las Vegas. Met up. Did a great day of tours yesterday, and now we're just uh, hoping to do at least one more today. Yeah. What's your son's band's name? It's called the. Uh, it's called. Well, the original full title was the Boys of Blue Jay Valley. Okay. But I have convinced him to just narrow it down to Blue Jay Valley or BJB, just so like it's a little more gender fluid. Like yeah. They can get a girl in the band and she doesn't have to feel weird about it. So uh, yeah, 
That's smart. Uh, yep, that Blue, is smart. Blue Jay Valley is the name of the band, and we've Googled it. And the only thing is, is there's a Blue Jay Valley restaurant somewhere in Spain, but there's no bands, so they've somehow Google's managed... Google's going to love them. They somehow managed to pick a band name right off the top with that nobody else has. That's Sub, awesome. Subhumans. I was going to yeah. say the Subhumans hasn't been taken yet. Only a few times. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. the Riff Randalls, I guess there's a few Only a few too. times, yeah. yeah. Well, I notice uh, there's an Australian Smugglers that gets uh, tagged, tagged in. all the time. You know, it's <laughs> funny. Like, I bet you it they might be me that, tagging right? them. Well, with the Smugglers, we thought for sure that that would be taken a million times over. And that was in 1988 when we took that name. We're like, oh, that's, that's everyone's gonna like, but weirdly enough, not even old garage rock bands from the 60s, nobody had ever used the Smugglers. So we took it and obviously we did a 17 year run with it that still continues to this day in lots of ways. But just in the last five, six years, Bands have started calling themselves the Smugglers. One in England, one in Australia, and they just they just run into thesmugglers.com, sure. which is us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your traffic's booming. Yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, but so we don't have we have a Facebook page, but we don't have a Instagram page. So everyone's on Instagram tagging these other Smugglers bands. So oh, I think I did that. So yeah, yeah. you probably did. But you know, it's uh, wasn't it the Man or Astro Man that they made these sort of like franchise bands? Yeah. So they were kind of all, oh, there was like maybe three Servotron, I think, was one of them. And they would always be out on tour making yes. money and yeah. there was some kind of... Crazy. Yeah, so you yeah, can but do those, that. Those smugglers' bands, we... Every once in a while, one of them will approach and say, can we buy the smugglers.com? And I'm like, no. Like, yeah, that's no. our... That's our... That's like... That's our house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where all our stuff lives. You know, web... Web property, that's like real property. Now. Yeah, it's it is. Becoming more yep. Yeah, I remember the Weaker Thans let theirs slip, let it expire. The WeakerThans.com, they never got it back. Crazy. It was just held at ransom by someone. So yeah. now they still live at the WeakerThans.org, I yeah. believe. But anyway, yeah, so nice well, to be here. Nice to see all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And nice to be here with you and KJ and making yeah, all the connections. Yeah, this has been super fun. Um, I just want to circle back to your comment about your son. Yeah. That's a rad dad moment. Oh, yeah. And to make that sacrifice. And, yeah. and Nick from the Smugglers came down, and that was kind of like emotional too because uh, the Smugglers formed in high school, and our first live show was in a school gymnasium on a talent show just like that so yeah. we were sitting there going like oh my god choking up and everything oh, and amazing. i they might have even been better than us at age nine <laughs> than we were at age 14 and we did covers mm-hmm. and they're doing originals Man, so they're amazing. way ahead of us that's yeah, very full circle cool. yeah I love that um you guys are doing this these tours together this weekend mm-hmm. so can you guys tell me a little bit about i guess your relationship sort of the cole's notes of how you guys know each other, kind of coming from that Canadian punk rock 90s. It's uh, difficult to think about scene. what to include. Well, <laughs> let's start with these tours. Yeah. I, you correct me if I'm wrong, KJ, but I think that uh, our publicist, Melanie Kay, or at least your publicist, but I've also worked with her for years. Mm-hmm. Love Melanie. She mm-hmm. approached us, she's based in Toronto. We've all known her for 30 years. And she approached me to get some stuff down here, some smuggler stuff in the museum. So we did that. 
And then I guess she brought up the tour thing, and she wanted to bring me down. And I said, I don't want, I, I, like, unlike KJ, I don't have the confidence to do it alone. I think it's from, I don't know that I do either. I, I, think, I think that that lack of confidence is from the amount of book touring that I used to do, where I would just show up at a bookstore and hope people would show up. And it kind of affected me a bit. And now I, now I just like do tours like I used to do with the band and sell tickets and all that way easier. But uh, so I said, I want, if I'm going to do these tours, I want to do it with KJ, basically. That was the first person I thought of. Oh, so we, and he agreed. And so we're doing it together, the Canadian connection. But our actual connection goes back, I think maybe over 30 years, like to 92. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we met in Vancouver at one of these like, Music West. It was Music West. Music yeah. West or something. And I guess you had a bit of a bone to pick with me, which I didn't know about until you reminded me yesterday. Yeah, well, we had put out our first 7-inch, uh, and it was reviewed in, was it Discord? Discord. Yeah. And what were the songs? I wrote the 7-inch column. Yeah, so, so it was, so like, Best Hung Carrot in the Fridge. Right, was the, that yeah. was the first single? That was Yeah, that's the first time we ever were on Vine. That was on Lance Rock. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so uh, you had... Uh, it wasn't a terrible review, I think. It was just dismissive. It was a little bit dismissive, and maybe you'd, Lukewarm. I think you'd call it a little bit too earnest or something, which, you know, is not wrong. What was the B-side on that? Uh, I honestly have no clue. Oh, Grunge I think... Baby or something? I, I can't remember either, but I, it is a good... I mean, I can... It's a good single. I can sing it right now, but... Uh, but anyway, I must have been a little too cool for school. I wanted to find him. <laughs> I knew he was there at the festival somewhere. And That's when reviews had power. Yeah, yeah. clearly. Yeah. And they, uh, he had like the... I saw him wearing his... Because uh, I didn't know what Lan- he looked lanyard like. Lanyard or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I saw that and I was like, you. <laughs> but we sort of talked. Within like... Because, like, you know, like... It's funny, like, when you talk in person, you can work things out quite quickly as opposed to like you know email whatever the tone is off so with it even though he was coming up with a i guess a bit of a gripe <laughs> within like minutes we were just hanging out and had like an epic 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 like mm-hmm. first date night yeah that was one for the ages <laughs> and i saw grant do something and that's when i knew we were going to be friends and there was a band on stage that he didn't like Personally, and I just personally did not like them. I think you liked them from, a, or didn't like them from about 20 different yeah, angles. They, I think they were from, from Calgary. Well, we don't need to get into okay. that. Anyway, <laughs> so you're like, oh, this is an abomination or yeah. whatever you're saying. And I think they had played one song or maybe two. Maybe like they're maybe like into their third song or something. He goes up, walks in the stage. town, pump, pump. goes up to the side of the stage. He's like, guys, 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 last song. Guys, one more, one more. Last song. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like, and they were like, what? Like, they were like, we're they 15 stopped. minutes into this. And they're like, they said it in the microphone, because you just have to say it with authority, right? Like, okay, guys, hey, hey, hey. Okay, we gotta do it. Last song, last song, guys. And and then they're like, they look totally confused, but they're like, all right, well, we have, we've got one left. Um, we've been, so, they're guys are my friends. But the, but the sound... The sound guys didn't even care because it was a big stacked bill, and mm-hmm. the, if a band ends early, it was like, all right, well, we're buying time. So we got them off, and it was very rude. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like what? What an amazing move. 
Because, yeah. you know, like at these things, there's like, what, it's 500 bands and it's a yeah. bit of a competition. Yeah. It's a bit gross. And you want to get signed. Yeah, and that was the stuff. last one we played. We were getting into, I think there was like seven or eight years we were uh, invited to go to South by Southwest and we never went. Right. Because we were like, why would we want to go do that with such a comp- weird competition? Anyway, I was impressed by that move because that was like yeah. uh, calculated and ballsy and hilarious. A lot of nerve. <laughs> and then uh, the next move that impressed me with KJ was we were like, well, do you have any money? I, uh, neither of us had any money, but we wanted to drink beer. And KJ said, I think I could get some beer. And I'm like, what are you talking about if we're both broke? And KJ went up to the bar, and I will never forget this. Uh, he met, I, I think the guy's name, the bartender, was like Stu. He's still in touch with me occasionally. And KJ leans into him, like leans across the bar and starts saying something into the bartender's ear. And the bartender's kind of laughing and kind of like, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? And the bartender turns around and pulls a six pack out of the- (laughs) I think it was two beer. I thought it was a full six pack. It could have been. (laughs) And then like, (laughs) I think it was 12 beers. (laughs) Anyway, whatever it was, it was multiple beers. Maybe it was four, maybe it was two. I thought it was, and they just put them on, and just gave them to KJ, just gave them to him, and and then he turned around and gave whatever two to me or one, and, and it I was, was the same determination that you had just. And I'm like, this guy just talked a bartender in a rock bar to give him free beer, and I was like, this guy has like a level of charm <laughs> that I have never even experienced. So he he saw me with the level of like audacity that I had, but his was like a, a charm. And that, and that charm is pretty much what like has, in my, besides the songwriting, that charm of KJ Jansen propels the chicks dig it like for 30, 30 plus years. There's this like, even though sometimes we both realize this weekend that we have both managed, despite our charms, <laughs> especially his, we both managed to say stuff on stage that gets us like punched or yeah. tackled or Shit thrown at us. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. come on, especially him. I'm like, what is going on? But anyway, so that night went on, and weirdly enough, this is the other weird little twist of that night. We both said like, or maybe you said, hey, down the street, there is uh, this band No Effects playing. And I said, oh, I don't know effects. I, I put on their first Vancouver show, so let's go see Mike. And uh, we went down the street, but after a few of those free beers, I was like, whoa, and pretty loaded. I don't think we made it. But we they got were to on the front the street, weren't they? Yeah, we, we talked to Mike, and I was like, hey, Mike. I put on your first couple of no effect shows here. And he was like, I was really tanked. And he didn't have much to say. But you, I think that must have been the first time you met him. Maybe. I, I, I didn't know no effects or any or fat records. We had heard a band from Winnipeg Reference, Fat oh. Records, that they wanted to be on Fat Records. And we, were, was we thought that was hilarious. Propagandy? No, it was 12 Eyes. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember 12 yeah. Eyes. Skater? And, yeah, and, and we thought that was hilarious that, that their big goal was to be on this label called Fat Records. Yeah. We are like, okay, well, have fun with that. Yeah. We had no idea. No, There's like no no effects in Calgary. They never came. There. And then so, the, no crazy, so the crazy thing is, is I put on their first shows in Vancouver. We went down to see them. Mike was on the sidewalk. And then like 30 years later, KJ's been signed and to Fat Forever. And I'm... 
you know. And then here we are sitting in the house that Fat Mike built, the Punk Rock Museum. I mean, from that sidewalk to here has been quite a journey. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's kinda, it is actually it's, it's crazy. Put it. crazy. It's surreal. Yeah. You never know where life, where life will lead you. And mm-hmm. That's why I usually say yes, if I can pull it off, say yes to these types of gigs because, you know, it's... It means something to, as KJ was saying earlier to see the legacy right. and all the connections that you have with the little pieces in each case mm. and you get reminded oh yeah we played with the you know like that story I read last night about playing with the dwarves mm. I mean it's just a night of insanity that you'll always remember and then you you see those black gloves of the fingerless black gloves of like Dahlia, the lead singer, and it's like, oh yeah. Stuff that was there when these nights happened, you know, yes, and it's yes. like... Naked but for the gloves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, we kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday, there's like this ironic legitimacy about this place, right? Mm. Like, who'd ever thought punk rock would... End up in a museum? Come to this. Like, yeah. But what's, what is funny is punk rock, like looking back, everybody who's into punk rock, you're all kind of archivists, right? Like you would read the yeah. liner notes and follow what yeah, bands yeah. are thanking what keep bands. Keep the posters. Keep the posters, yeah. keep the ticket stubs. Yeah. And that's like where this all comes from, right? Is because no one else was keeping track of it. So you kind of had to do it yourself. But it seems like everybody was keeping track for this purpose yeah. without knowing Just it. one day. I mean, you know, like sometimes my wife will say, oh my God, why... Are you keeping that stuff? Like, why are you keeping this or what? And it could be mine or it could be Josh's or Grace's, my kids. And I will say, like, well, you never know. Like, what if Paul McCartney's mom, like, threw out those lyrics to Mm -hmm. Penny Lane or whatever? And so this is kind of the the reason. Like, don't throw out your, your collectibles. Put them in a box because the stuff here at the Punk Rock Museum is, like, proof Yes. That holding on to seemingly useless, stupid shit actually will mean something mm-hmm. to people at large. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It it's, is weird. It's just physical stuff. And, you know... The, oh, but it was there, right? Like, a lot of the there, things were... It was there. You know, like... Like, like Johnny Thunder's well, key around no, his yeah, wrist. it's just like a key, right, to his yeah. apartment. But that's a pretty But it tells a story. Key. Yeah. The key tells a story. This key we're referring to is this is a little key on a chain down in the Johnny Thunders display and that key on the chain was uh, found on his wrist when he was found dead and it opens up the door to his room at the Chelsea Hotel which I have stayed at and that's also where Sid and Nancy lived and Leonard Cohen lived where there for a while. murdered Nancy too, right? So, or yeah, I or guess whatever that, you believe. She that, died there. She died there. Yeah, right. I guess I don't think it was ever proven. Yeah, because a lot of people don't believe that he killed him. Yeah, yeah. It's clearly, you do, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, folks. I KJ made it solved the mystery. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you, I was there. Usually, when you use the word "murdered," it means you've made up your it's mind. It's accusatory, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's slightly. I'm gonna take you scratch that. Yeah. Working at the CBC, you gotta, you gotta, you can't really jump. To yeah, well, you have a little bit more training at this. Like, you know, whether you journalistic like, you do this integrity. Little, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I haven't. True, you, true. How how long have you been with the CBC? Twenty. Six years. Holy I know. It's, it's crazy. And the only reason I got a job there was because of a parenting twist. One of the guys in the band, Nick, unexpectedly was becoming a father. And so he had to take some time off. And in the 90s, we were just touring all the time. And, 
and we had lots of records coming out and all that kind of stuff on Lookout and Mint and all of a sudden he's like guys guys I gotta slow down we gotta can't do that tour to Europe can't do whatever and so it's like okay well I guess I need a job plan B yeah plan B and I got a job as a researcher at the CBC which is a rung so low on the ladder it doesn't even exist anymore but somehow I'm still there and hoping to excuse myself at some point soon. But nowadays, when somebody tells you that their wife's having a baby and you mention Plan B, it's usually <laughs> it like... Different. So I would totally say, different. yeah, use totally different, different terminology. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, and I think, one, we had a rule in Chicks Dig It, like, from the beginning, and that was that you had to have a day job. Oh, that's good. And so... So I you mean, don't just, like, be completely dependent on Yeah, it's like, we need to do this thing because of money. And then you do something that's maybe not great for the band just because of money. You know, exactly. So, right. Like this gig, for instance. <laughs> yeah, like, don't do it. But uh, yeah, so I've actually had the same day job. My first day at work was the day after the first ever Chicks Ticket show. Wow. And I so went. How many years are you now? 32. 32 wow. years. So you must be at that point of retirement. I am. I, through, well, because you can't retire until you're 55. And so I'm three years away from retirement today. For, for, full, for full pension and all that? Yep, because yeah. I've been there so long. I enjoy it too. I love, basically I've promoted essentially Canadian music for the whole time. That's why you guys are the perfect people to have here for the Canadian connection, right? I mean, this is, it's neat. When you look at that room in the museum, Canada has its own It does, room. it does. I was thinking about it last mm-hmm. night. I think someone on our tour said oh what what's missing and I definitely like I realized like it's a privilege to be in that um, Canadian display because like teenage head are not in it yeah um, you know pointed sticks pointed sticks are not in it modern ads modern ads the young Canadians uh, the diodes who are the first Canadian punk rock band to be signed to a major label so there you know like the forgotten rebels aren't in there the diglo abortions you know i mean they for, for just their fight against censorship uh so there's it's like oh but chicks dig it and the smugglers are in there so it helps to know the publicist yeah yeah i think you're right so tell me what's in what's here at the museum that's directly related to you guys maybe grant i'll get you to well for to tell the, for the smugglers first. like directly related yeah so Directly related for me, the most is there's a smuggler's boot uh, that we wore. It's got a red S on it, so that means I think we wore it in Europe for uh, at least one tour. Two different color S's. Yeah, yeah, just some dumb thing we created. White S's were usually North America, but anyway. Did you save? Do you have multiple boots left? Did you save? They were kicking around in Nick's garage, but uh, a lot of yeah. But a lot of them have been sent out yeah. to places. You know, like one of them ended up on the wall of the Lookout Records store for the, when it was running in the 90s. And then another one ended up of all places at the, the what's it called in Calgary? Hard Rock Cafe? No. No, that, that thing in Calgary, the National Music Center. Oh, okay. There's yep. a boot in there. Oh, cool. And um, it's, just, it's just an odd choice of footwear, so I guess people remember it. So anyway, I got a boot photo of me wearing the boots taken by Steve-O, uh, this great photographer from LA who's going to be here today. And then, um, and then like, 
one degree of separation away is Robin Iwata's guitar from Cub. We did a million shows of Cub. It's neat to see that cool old guitar. And then just a few things from Lookout Records, like that Lookout Records sandwich board from their store. But those are the things. That, and then, you know, like KJ stuff and Pansy Division stuff. That's all like one degree of yeah. separation. But that's what I have in here. Yeah. And what about you, KJ? Yeah, I would say, well, uh, my stuff or the Chicks Diggit stuff, there's a pair of shoes and, a, and my guitar that I played for, I think, probably over 700 shows. Uh, that's here. It's an old Rickenbacker. And then uh, the shoes are kind of perched on top of a album of ours to, from scene to shining scene, and those are the shoes. And the guitar is on that cover, the too. The guitar yeah. as well, yeah. And uh, so that's kind of directly related to me. I would say, obviously, the Smuggler's uh, boot is... You know, one degree. Right next door. Right next door. We're both touching the DeSlime purple. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff from DeSlime, which is like a, you know, a a Newfoundland punk rock band that that put out a weird album that was kind of, they made each cover. Like they would take, they would take old covers from Valley Village and open them and then flip them over and glue them back and then just draw stuff on the back and I have one of those I think there's like duct tape or something on it but they only had like 300 and uh, it's a lot of work yeah a ton of work I didn't even know how I got it I think when the CBC went to St. John's Newfoundland I did a feature on the slime and tracked them all down and and all that kind of stuff but uh, they they have quite a presence here at the museum Yeah, yeah that's great but I would say also like you know the fat record stuff like the contract yeah. we had a very similar contract with Mike the handwritten and, contract yeah. yeah and I would say that I think we were all drunk I, it's for sure not legally binding but we, it didn't need to be right yeah. you know. we did not have a contract with Lookout for the first few records and then finally had a contract for our album Rosie which was like three records in we just you know it was one of those things like whatever I guess we should mm-hmm. have one yeah maybe yeah. Well, you know what, like, uh, if you know the people, like, you know, if it's Mike, I, I've never known Mike to not be at his word, you know, I would say. So, honestly, we were never worried about it. And I think maybe there was an actual contract for one of ours, too. Like, we got four copies of it, but, you know, it doesn't really mean anything more yeah. than that other thing. In rock and roll, mm-hmm. it's very rarely referred back to. Yeah. I mean, I think... It's too much reading. Right? Yeah, I, I think it... <laughs> You know, in Lookout Records case, sadly, you know, when I look around this museum, you know, a lot of the labels, Epitaph, still going fat, still going strong, mm-hmm. um, but Lookout just fell apart, and that's that still makes me sad because I think Lookout could still be going too, but they mm-hmm. just got in too deep, and ironically, it was almost due to their success. Like, they, they were selling so many... Green Day records and so many Screeching Weasel records that they couldn't pay the royalties. They were allocating the money elsewhere to employees and and um, other expenses like you know South by Southwest mm-hmm. junkets or CMJ junkets where there was hotel rooms of plenty and the royalties weren't getting paid and you, you gotta pay your biggest bands. Mm-hmm. And then so, and I think they wanted their records back. Yeah, and in the end, uh, that that was kind of the death knell for this amazing label was not paying the most successful bands on the label. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, and I mean, to have a band like Green Day on your label is a gift yeah. from heaven above. Mm-hmm. You know, that should be able to float the boat 
for the rest for of time, time yeah. you know. But anyway, well, it's like you know, and I think we were in similar situations because our first record was on Sub Pop. Yeah. Shortly after, we got signed like less than a year after Kurt Cobain had passed. That Bleach record was selling it's, millions yeah, of copies millions. a day. It was crazy. Yeah. So, you know, we got you know, obviously that was kind of a big contract that we signed and. I saved most of that money, and when we bought our house, like our house was partially paid for by wow. Kurt Cobain. <laughs> like, yeah, it's amazing. You know, really, I have you know him and the and Dave Grohl and uh, Chris Novoselic to thank. You know, that's amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we both have similar like we both been on labels where like where there's been an iconic band that has exploded and floated the boat, mm-hmm. but a lot of that comes down to accounting and sub pop still going <laughs> yeah they had good accountants and uh fat still going you know so yeah it's impressive do you guys have a favorite item in the museum whether it's related to to you or your experience at all um you talked about some interesting ones yesterday i would say on for tour, me the one that kind of it even kind of i gotta say gets me choked up because it was from our first tour and it was chris from pansy divisions shirt with the giant cock on it which is you know a strange thing to get verklempt about but I just remember he wore that shirt all the time and he was the one guy in the band they had all toured before and we hadn't and they took care of us especially Chris Chris made sure that if we were all staying in the same house that everybody had blankets and pillows and was taking care of like he would and he was a great guy he's just an, he's an incredible yeah. guy really and, really great and guy. I would say like that's the one every time I walk by I'm like you know because I mean, I hugged that shirt how many times because yeah, he was so such, cool. you know, yeah. Well, it's funny, the, the, his glitter dress also, um, <laughs> Same you know, because he, he was, like, when you talk about punk, there's, there's a certain amount of punk that is bravery and is pushing the envelope and is yeah. being yourself. That's a key part of it. And Pansy Division were being themselves to the max no matter who it bothered or made uncomfortable and they're still going to this day still playing shows still touring this summer they're um, the punkest band yeah, in this museum ever, ever. I would say yeah. you know like they're the coolest punkest thing the first all gay punk rock band yeah. out and declared out and they just broke all barriers and, and they made it safe for I mean they, they were the pioneers like they had to go out and take all the abuse right but they kept up their not they would not back down they they didn't and and they made it safe for like generations of other punk rock kids to come out and be themselves Mm -hmm. but the other piece that gets me emotional is i mentioned it before uh robin awada's cool kind of hollow body Mm -hmm. weird Mm -hmm. red guitar because i look at that guitar and i remember the beginnings of cub and this was a asian woman who also took a lot of sexist like cat calls she didn't know how to play the guitar at the start but they just started their band uh they found success and now that guitar is in the punk rock museum in las vegas mm-hmm. and i remember when she was sitting cross-legged sit on the stage on stage play, yeah. head down bangs in her face shy japanese canadian and she eventually ended up having a ton of success with Cub, but to see that beginning and then having the guitar here is a pretty cool thing. 
and you know, it'd be. I'd like to see some more of Kim Shattuck's stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see more Bratmobile stuff here. A little bit more of the of the girls' stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, fastbacks for me, I'd like yeah, to see. Yeah, some, like just one of Kurt's guitars or yeah. something. You know, and Kim too. Like she had such a incredible style. presence and style, yes. and just had been through everything you know really and And you know the fastbacks like they're one of the few northwest bands there's not too much from the northwest here that's true but um fastbacks are one of the few seattle bands that straddle like uh like four different decades and all the movements so like they were you know they were on like 70s 70s 80s 90s 2000s five decades 2010s Like it's insane. But they're still going. Well, they, yeah, they did I guess. Some stuff they, they do the some reunions. Yeah. But the and the, and the other thing about the Fastbacks is they were on like they played with the Ramones and they came through Seattle. Then they were on Pop Lama in the '80s. Then they were on Sub Pop like with you, like right through the peak of grunge, like the fever pitch mm-hmm. of the the '90s. And then they ended up on like Spin Art Records and. They're just incredible, and yes, they should be represented in here for sure. And one cool thing that Kim did is that when we got dropped from Sub Pop, uh, they had taken all our albums and thrown them in the garbage. They did? Yeah, they were oh, yeah, in the garbage. Oh yeah, because Kim used to work there. Yeah, and so Kim uh, was leaving work one day, and at the back of the Sub Pop uh, building at the basement, you walk by the garbage cans and you're above, and you can look down into them. And so she walked by and saw our records in the garbage. So she had the key. She grabbed all that she I don't know if she went in the dumpster but she pulled all our records out of the dumpster went back and FedEx them to our house oh my god at great expense at Sub Pop's expense sure, yes where they sat in our drummer's garage for like 20 years really you didn't sell them as merch we forgot about them oh. and then at this point that record was so rare it was selling for $100 a copy Oh my god. So, so this was born on the first of July. Well, this was our self titled first record. Oh, self titled first record. So we had all these sealed records from, they're almost all gone now, but oh, Kim man. from the Fastback saved those for us. That's shipping. That's so, so yeah. how many records did you put out in Supper? Just one. And they dropped you? Yeah. Why? Well, uh, the story we were told, and I'm sure there's other versions of it, but we were signed by Bruce. Bruce right. did not tell John that he was signing us. John was pissed, didn't like us. So I would say 50, maybe 75% of Sub Pop employees did not like us. So, and then the 25% that did, you know, are still our friends to this day, but there was a lot of uh, bullshit going on. Like we're supposed to stay at the Sub Pop house in Boston. And that's just yes. like where you stay. And Joyce was Joyce. the yeah, yes. and hated us. Yes. And we showed up there, and she wouldn't let us in. Oh my god! Um, so Sub Pop had to like get us a hotel. They had to increase our uh, um, tour support, which our manager Danny Bland just kept for himself anyway. Oh man! Um, oh the '90s. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, but yeah, there was a lot of like uh, infighting there. And, we had no experience with any of that. We were just goofy kids from Calgary with, like, like not streetwise at all. And then, so did you, like, turn that around and land on fat, like, right away? Well, what happened was we had to wait to... It was, like, a date, a drop-dead date. Midnight Seattle time, we were at my parents' house waiting for midnight Seattle time, and if they didn't let us know that they wanted to do another record, we were off. Oh, to release you. Yeah, so we were released. So that next morning I called Fat Mike and I said hey you know and he goes well let's uh, why don't you come down play a show we'll book a show for you guys 
So they booked a show in San Francisco at this Edinburgh Castle kind of place. Okay. Out of the way, but it was only fat friends and employees there. Jeez, it must have been a lot of pressure. Yeah, well, no kidding. I don't even think we realized that. <laughs> and so we went up there and played, and it was actually, we like we were, it was probably one of our best shows ever. Wow. And the charm was, was on. Like, I still ten. had it. Not obviously not anymore, but so uh, Mike came up after. He's like, I want to put out your record. And I was like great and he's like how come you didn't do your first record with me and I was like well how come you didn't offer and he said I did and he made an offer to this Danny Bland oh no but uh, Fat Records doesn't give out advances so that he doesn't get paid a percentage on the advance oh. Sub Pop of course gave out advances oh. so we could have been on Fat right from the beginning but uh, this guy uh, forgot to tell us so anyway that's kind of how screened it. the offer yeah oh. and then subsequently took all our tour support Ended up, it was like you know five grand a month for a year. Oh my god, <laughs> we didn't get anything like that. Yeah, so but we didn't either because <laughs> really. What's amazing to me, like listening to you guys talk about this, is these items here kind of evoked all these memories. Yeah, right. Yes. right? Yes. And that's what's so neat about it. They're just yeah. You know, it's just an old guitar. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a T-shirt. But it's but amazing it, that that guitar was there through all of this. Yes. It was there. Yes. I owned that guitar when I met you. Yes. It was when all of these things happened. It's when I met my wife. Guitar. I was playing that guitar when I met my wife. Yeah. You know, so I would say, like, it's it really is this thing that sat in a case, yeah. you know, for the last 20 years. But, you know, now that I think about it, it really is this kind of, what is that, like a call that a talisman um, it's just, yeah I guess so yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's yeah. this uh, object that has been it's there got a, through a, all a spirit of these things almost yeah. like an energy yeah. into it right yeah. and a stench yes. yeah well I was gonna mention that <laughs> like because my clothes that's the other thing is, is you know, we were talking about yesterday is they they come with even a smell some of them right yeah. And, yeah. and Mona was mentioning was it Joan Jets? I'm trying to remember oh, whose yeah. jacket it was. But well, it smelled good. Yeah, it but smelled it smelled good. good. Yeah, it smelled good. good. There was a couch they got from somewhere that from everybody Motor was Studios, begging right? them to, to just keep wrapped. Oh no, that, no, it was. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It was a different one. But yeah, but yeah, no. Thank God for glass. Whoever invented glass, <laughs> because a lot of these things are behind glass, and you, you and know, all of, all of them combined. Like there's, is it Pig Champion from Poison Ideas? Yeah. Uh, cod piece or whatever yeah. Yeah. you know in this thing and with like all these other I don't know like there's got to be a certain odor in there yeah I mean I'm wearing these clothes I'm wearing a smuggler's outfit from a 1997 tour which I have received many compliments on this jacket and I realized like man why do we only wear this for one tour I think it looks great honestly. yeah me too. so bizarre yeah. it might need to go back into the rotation yeah but they've been sitting in my parents closet so they they reek of the kind of sort of mildew kind of basement parent smell which I've just been hoping like I'm just standing there giving these tours and I just smell it Your all around basement. me. You know My what? It's basement. a glorious smell. That's the honestly that's a smell of parents that give a shit about you. Yeah. Because that smell doesn't exist right. if, if they felt differently about you. It would true. It would be it's in true. the garbage. Yeah. 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 So, but like, God bless them for keeping them around all these years, you know, and all the other things. Yeah. That you know, my all, parents too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's we've There's been talking a lot about that. Probably yeah. a lot of rad parents responsible for a lot of the things in this museum, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, no the, you know, like the, what was it, Billy Joe's first amp? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was probably kicking around a parents' house. You yeah. Know. 
Yeah, when there was Jerry only's. Yes. Uh, the studs from that the his, Misfits. Yeah, that his dad said, or his dad had machined for him. Like, and I think back to all the things my parents did. You know, my mom, you know, sewed curtains for both our band vans. Oh yeah. Dad built like a like a full on bunk setup. Yeah. Do you remember that bus? Yeah. That, oh yeah, my dad did too. Built mm-hmm. a bunk in the back of our van so we could sleep. And you know, I mean, that our our van. I love that. We had a raised roof GMC 78 Vandura, and it had two I beds. Red, wasn't it? Red, yeah, yeah, burgundy red. It had two beds, two double beds in it. And I mean, to be able to sleep while the van was like rolling across America or whatever, it was luxurious. It was, yeah. it was luxurious. And then so you, you could kind of party all night, but then you could sleep. And, and when, and there's a, Almost like sleeping on a boat or, or on a train, you kind of get a good sleep with the motion and a bit of the breeze, and so that would save our health on the road because the parties often do go. They they went late back then. And, yeah, uh, sometimes we would go straight until the bus would leave. Somebody would do first shift, and then we would kind of do two three hour shifts. Yes, three hour shifts. And then that's what a gas tank was. And then yeah, and then everybody would kind of cycle through or not now so when you say you bus are you actually referring to a bus yeah we had like a, one of those short buses that oh yeah there, that white thing and, I remember that and I had the bunk across the back which is over top of the equipment right and you could only get to the equipment by crawling across my bunk and going down and unlocking right. yeah. the padlock yeah and we had uh, riveted steel into all the windows so you couldn't oh wow we, so we that had was my dad our back door we had a uh, you know like a, a like a two by four that sat on two metal like hooks like this brackets yeah. yeah so when you open the door it wouldn't open because you had a two by four creating leverage all the way back and you couldn't even break it like you could right. i mean i guess if you could eventually kind of crowbar it or saw it off but it was that was what it was all about in the 90s as well because the that was the crack years of america right that's and crime was just insane Insane. We got broken into on a tour with Pansy Division, day two. Oh, where in Canada? Or the in States? Vancouver, but oh. we didn't realize till we got to Seattle because they had lifted up the bed, taken all the stuff, and put it back down, and we didn't oh. know it was gone. We get to Seattle and everything's gone. Oh god! Oh, so then man. we went back, borrowed some guitars. I think we played with Huevos Rancheros at some point there. Get back to Calgary, got new guitars, made it to Saskatoon, where we were bringing everything inside the club. And this is with Pansy Division. Another huge ruckus after that show. We come back and all our shit's gone out of our... Again? Yeah. But Twice? they had taken all our bags and everything, gone through them about three blocks away in this open garage. And some for some reason there was like dog food all over oh, the ground. God. So we got our stuff back. Dave Ward, who was the drummer of Pansy Division at the time, he said, uh, in two days we're going to be at Chris, Chris's boyfriend's house in Minneapolis. And so we went there. He bought all this shit. There was tools in, at the boyfriend's house. And he made a padlock system for our van, including a padlock on the outside of the driver's yeah. Yeah. door. Oh, wow. And it was padlocked on the sliding door. And it was the same thing. You had to go down and then reach down to padlock it. And but then, when you're at the shows, you're like, who's got the keys? Do you have the keys in the van? Do you have the yeah, keys well, in we the had van? a couple keys. Well, you are keys. You had to have keys for the padlock yeah. and keys for the van. Yeah, so you're right. back and forth. Like, I gotta get something out of the van. Well, who's got the keys? But all the padlock keys were the same. 
Well, that's good. And so we had we, like six of them. So. Yeah, we didn't lose them, so that was good. But it was like that saved our tour because we went all the way to like New York City. Yeah. Well, the smugglers never got broken into, ever. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, and the, the the closest thing we ever had was we made a mistake in Japan, where we unloaded on the sidewalk, all our gear, everything was going up to the rooms, and uh, Bees left his base on the sidewalk of an extremely busy street in Tokyo. And we went up to the rooms, we were lying there watching like this weird coin-operated sex television and where you just put in money and it's just instant sex on the TV uh, of Japanese people. And then uh, he's like, that moment, you know, like, where's my base? Where's my, where's my, where's my, and just starts panicking. Where's my, it's not in the room about this size with all mats on the floor, no furniture. And uh, we ran downstairs, got down through the lobby, searched in the lobby, look out on the sidewalk, and it's just sitting exactly where it was on a downtown busy sidewalk for at least two hours. Nobody, Nobody touched, touched it. it. But then we told, like in Vancouver, it would have been gone in five seconds. Oh, yeah. New yeah. York, three seconds. And we were told in Japan that there's not a lot of... Um, of an economy for used stuff. Like there's not a lot of pawn shop, there's no pawn shops. It's like they just buy it new out of the box. And you know, like uh, Westerners that move to Japan often will furnish their apartment from going down Japanese alleys and just finding like couch, television, chair, that they're just like, all right, out, new. And uh, so yeah, Bees' base was safe. That's the closest we ever came. It's amazing. Wow. So now we're telling road stories. Oh yeah, we're supposed to tell dad stories. Yeah. Well, that was kind of connected to a dad story about your dad's helping you build. Yes. Build yeah, and let's talk about your dad. Yeah. How lovely it is Wayne. that Wayne is down here. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, zero interest in punk rock. Dragged him through the museum on an extra long tour. Yeah. We talked and talked. Yeah. But you know that that's actually something that he said, and it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about it kind of like. This kind of legitimizing this lifestyle that we've kind of all been a part of, and, yeah. and the things culture. that have been important in this yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, and you know, he was like, "That was really amazing oh, to see good. all that stuff." He's like, "I don't really know the bands or whatever, yeah. but just to hear some of those stories and to see the way it's all set up." Mm-hmm. And um, I think he thought it was really cool. Genuinely thought it was really That's cool. cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, and and you, and you, when you call it a culture, because it is. Yep. Yeah. And and you look at how big of a culture it was in the '90s. You know, there's that room in the corner that we all maybe scoff at a little bit, but that punk's big break or yes, whatever. Yes. Um, I would say like that really was also a time when all of our friends got famous and yeah. and you know all of these like crazy things. We were like, uh, but there was trickle down. Like our records sold more because yeah, the genre sure. broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like because we're friends with like every band that got famous yeah. for a while there. And we could also like the hives, wasn't it like oh yeah. What was that? You were talking about it on one of your uh, uh, web entries where you're like, oh, here we go. Another one of our friends gets famous and yes. we get left behind. Who, well, what was the list? Yeah, well, it was a, lo- I mean, it was a long list of bands. That the Donnas. Big. The Donnas got huge. But, you know, like, there's always the other side. Green Day is one of the very, very, very few where there hasn't been the other side of the mountain. Like, they've just stayed but at the top. But there was. They had Dookie. It did all right for a while, and then they went down. But then they kept going and brought it back up again. Yeah. It's kind of, and I don't mean to bring in the bare naked ladies to this, but they were huge, and then they had 
dip. A, a dip, and yeah. then somehow, boom, one week, yeah. you look at me or whatever, yeah. and then they've been big ever since. And yeah, so, but you know, like, I mean, the Donnas definitely came back down the mountain, like they got dropped, mm-hmm. you know, and they just sort of disintegrated, unfortunately. The hives are back. Now. Hives are back. Oh, yeah. They've managed to maintain it, though not maybe at the level, like the venues are a lot smaller now, but... Uh, you know, they had a worldwide, they had a global hit yeah. with a song that sounds like a Blur song, but but or whatever the riff is. <laughs> Main Offender? Yeah. yeah. No, it was, uh, hate to say oh, hate I to say, told, I told you so. so. Yeah. All right. And, I, and when I first heard that, I'm like, it's that just, a, it's I've just never that heard blurs. that song. <laughs> You've never heard Hate to Say I You've heard it for yeah, sure. Maybe not the way you sing it. Hate to say I We'll play it in the jam room. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's jam. All right. Yeah, we should do that. Um, but yeah, they're they're good guys and still friends. But yeah, you know. But I don't actually, I don't honestly have any feelings of uh, like, oh, those guys made it big and we didn't. Like, I, it's, it's I, I I really don't. Like, I'm I'm completely happy where we are. And, yeah, me and too. I you know it would have been nice to see a, maybe we saw tons of the world. Uh, playing in our bands, but maybe there's always that one other country that maybe we could have gone to, or you know, maybe you know. But never. if you think about it, when you started the band, right, that very first yeah. day, you're like, we're doing this, and where you are right now. If you look at all the things, oh yeah, because it's thirty years of achievement. Maybe you didn't get like superstardom or whatever, yeah. but what you did get out of it was a great job for twenty six years, yeah. a family and stability, yes. and which is the billionaire's dream yeah right? the, the, the ultimate goal is is the, the our, our family situation and you know I see there's some people around here that are you know alone um, or don't have that family situation and you know that's what I'm you know most proud of is the kids and the legacy and now that they discover what dad did and and my son getting really into it at a slightly young age, nine, maybe a little too young. But uh, that's really cool to see, you know. I mean, are your kids into rock and roll? Yeah, I would say both of them play music. I think Adam is actually a drummer who can keep a beat. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and and, uh, we go out to the jam room a lot and play. Hannah's more into piano and singing. But they're both really good, you know, and that's like trying not to be biased about it but they're actually like you know oh, it's uh, okay to be biased with your own yeah, kids yeah but you know like I also try and look at it you know from a outside realistically and, and and, yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're way more musical than I ever was and so that, yeah, that's the, that's when kids can blow you away is like when I was a kid I was a real big nerd and quite nervous around other people and and bullied all that stuff and my son is so much more out there like on sports teams and and you know he's been in some tough situations on sports teams but he's great team player he's in a band already he's doing all these things that I didn't do Mm -hmm. at his age so he's gone way further in hockey than I ever did Mm -hmm. and but because I play in the beer leagues with the flying V's he wants to do it. He sees it. that, yeah. He sees it and wants to do what you do. So, yeah. And that is actually a good parenting point is 
just to remember the level of influence we have yeah. on our kids yeah. at all times. And it's not what you say, right? It's no. what you're doing. It's at yeah. all times. They're watching, They're right? just sponges, yeah. and they want to be like you. They, they adore us, um, and that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And it only lasts so long. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool when that happens. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's a great place to, to end it, I think, guys. Okay. That's yeah, amazing. Awesome. You wanted 10 Thanks. minutes. What did you get? Yeah. You got, <laughs> we got, I don't An know, hour? 45 minutes or so, something. So, so, now, like, so, now, <laughs> so now he's going to say. Oh, man. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I didn't mention off the top, but as you heard, it was also KJ's birthday, so the museum threw him a birthday party that afternoon, complete with a Canadian maple leaf cake. It was just nonstop that weekend. Make sure to check out our Instagram or Facebook to see some photos and videos from the museum, and don't forget to let us know what you thought of the interview. If you like this episode, it would mean so much to us if you drop us a review on iTunes or Spotify, and if you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or give us a follow on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show. Or on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok at at rad dad show. And normally, you can head over to YouTube to watch all these interviews as well. Although we didn't get video for this one. My apologies on that. But wherever you're watching or listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. It helps us a lot. Lastly, as you know... Rad Dads is first and foremost a community organization aimed at positive parenting, and you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime, and in between time, stay rad.